So we'll start with Fergus doing his, you know, doing his practices and everything. And you're, we're just for sake, instead of keep calling him your pseudo son, uh, because Fergus is a rude boy and awkward, still hasn't asked him his name, but I'm okay with that. Like, I, I mean, you can retro it if you want to, but for some reason, I feel like Fergus, like, is just like, and like never actually gets around to it or busies himself before he can like think too much about this situation. So we're just going to call him your son. Uh, he is a mixture of helpful and unhelpful um, in equal measures. He, like I said, will will help you with with language or, or setting up a scene, but he'll also be just terribly distracting, and you're not sure how he does it, but occasionally he'll be in the middle of a scene, and he'll make a gesture or say a word or something like that, and it'll snap one of your actors out of your mind control, and you don't have a problem getting them back, but... He's got, you know, this mischievous look on his face. You know, he's very pleased with himself. And, you know, he's kind of got this back and forth. He's constantly there. Um, Doesn't seem to need to sleep or eat or anything. And he'll, you know... what you assume are his underlings will come and they brush right past you or through the middle of your stage or anything like that and go over and say things to him and he'll, you know, listen and, you know, say something else and they'll leave and sometimes it's a hushed conversation and sometimes he's overly loud And this continues until you start writing and rehearsing the third act. And when you start, when Fergus is traveling and you get to Russia or China, wherever you decide it wants to be, and you find the other side program and start talking about that and um, about liberating them and, and influencing the world, he goes cold and still, uh, almost instantaneous from from reading this or seeing it, whichever he does first. And then he just kind of stands in the background, just staring at you, just cold, like he's unsettling. You haven't seen this part of him, uh, except for the very first time you met him uh, when he pretty much dismantled you uh, when he was fighting against you. But once he had, like, trust you up and everything, he, you saw this odd, manic personality. But he just... And it creeps you out, like... It reminds you of yourself. 
uh, in a weird, broken mirror kind of way. And he doesn't talk to you like his underlings come to him. And he's very curt. Uh, sometimes he just straight up, straight up ignores them. But yeah, so you can handle that however. But you put this, the play on for future, and he does invite an audience. Like, not everybody from future is there. But, you know, hundred, maybe a couple hundred. Um, but similar to you know, how he has that giant monolith in the middle of, of the city. Uh, even though your your space doesn't have that, when he walks in, the, the room seems to expand and uh, one of smaller scale kind of um, manifests for them to sit on. And they don't say anything, um, you know, you you tell your stone-faced son that it's it's ready, and he doesn't even blink at you, and then moments later, people start to filter through, and future is there. You know, everyone giving him a... a him, I keep saying him. Keep giving them a, a fairly wide berth. And you, you put on the play, and the first act, you, see, you they have a calculated, hard-to-read expression on their face. They're, they're kind of uh, very neutral. And the second act happens, and... Actually, let's, let's reverse that. The first act happens... And they almost have a displeased look on their face. And then the second act, and, and it becomes a more neutral expression. And then the third act happens. And for the first time since meeting Future, you see a, a genuine smile cross their face. And it, it reads just all kinds of bad news like you know this is a being of of uh, entropy and nihilism and to see them pleased well I should say they're a, a being of entropy and nihilism juxtaposed with uh, what's what's the adjective that I want to use um, hope and possibility, like, um, positive uncertainty. I hope that makes sense. So, so in and of itself, future is, is a being of, you know, uh, yeah, why are words escaping me? Is a being of, um, a contradictory nature. That's not what I really want to say, but that's the only thing that's coming to me. But this is just like positive joy on their face, and, and you don't... <laughs> you're not really sure. You don't know them well enough as to how to take that. 
but I imagine it would make Fergus somewhat uncomfortable. And the show is over and everyone starts to filter out except for Future and, and your son. I imagine, you know, like you said, you released your actors and Future comes down to you and nods. You have given me, you know, again, that old, worn you know, voice. You have given me much to consider, puppeteer. <laughs> Give me time to deliberate. And, and time, the inflection on the word, just... It's like when when somebody has something in surplus and it's become meaningless to them, but they know it's important to other people. Um, like when, when they kind of use or describe that thing or something that you've been involved in for a real long time and it's just kind of become uh, mundane to you. Uh, that that's how they they say time. S you know, standing behind future, your son's there, and you can actually see his he's grinding his teeth. You can hear it, and you know, and future says that they'll consider. He just he doesn't. It looks like he begins to turn like a. You can see the intent in his body to move that way, and then he's just gone. Um, he, like, blinks out of existence. Yeah, so I hope that gives you something to work on. Um, pretty much what I'm leaving you with is, is how you want to respond to future, if you want to respond to anything uh, with your son or... Uh, and or what Fergus is, is planning on doing. Pretty much uh, Future is saying that he's going to uh, deliberate with themselves uh, as to if they're going to send you back. Um, you get the impression you don't know if they're stringing you along or if they're actually going to deliberate. Like it was, it was a, a very hard to read uh, pronouncement to you. Flocky just had a, a few things that Fergus was, was going to do, so nothing that constituted a uh, full recording, so I'll just enlighten you all on uh, what he said through text, and then um, go on with the recording from there. So, Fergus decides that he's going to send some people, specifically Shrouder, that he's uh, kept a hold of this entire time, to go find his son, because uh, Fergus is having difficulties um, believing the realness, the substantialness of his, his son actually being there. And 
when you do this, Fergus, you tell Shrouder to, to go hunt him down and Shrouder just kind of shakes his head. No, no, just <laughs> not going anywhere near that. His, his place is fortified, damn near impenetrable. Uh, I tried to, well, got in once and yeah, learned my lesson. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's bad. Like if you, if you full on mind control him to, to tell him to do it, he will, of course, you have to put a bit more effort into it because he's the, he's scared shitless and, um, Anytime someone wants, you know, has to act contrary to their nature or if it's going to put them in some type of, of, uh, danger that they're aware of, you know, it can break it or, or make it more difficult. Um, but he seems genuinely shaken and anybody else that you talk to about it or try to send that way, um, like okay, but nobody gets in with without his permission. I mean, it's just uh, the way that 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 general's place is. You know, unless unless he sends for you or or you're one of his his top top people, then then you're not getting in. So I'll leave that to you, as if you uh, force shrouder or someone else to to go deal with it or if you if you let it slide and everyone i asked flock if he wanted to just kind of sit around and wait for future or not and he, you know he said fergus would go out and and kind of see what was up so you leave this rehearsal space after weeks, months, however long it took you. You walk outside, and it's that same dingy sky where you can, can't can really make out where the sun is. And one of your actors is waiting out there for you. And it's the, the anthropomorphized well. Uh, kind of looks like a like a baleen well uh, with large uh, bumps and everything, you know, minus the the barnacles that take hold of them and everything. Um, large individual, probably about eight feet tall, large head and uh, three fingered hands, flipper like dark bluish gray skin and they look at the puppeteer and through your uh, there's a a vocal element to it and it, it's somewhat somewhat well like it's kind of you know drawn out a bit but you get the impression that it's it's 
part of how it communicates. The other part is, you know, usually you have to like reach out with your telepathy to read minds or whatever. And this is actually sent to you. So it's uh, partially vocal, partially thought. And I'm not going to do a, a well voice because I think that would be tiresome for me to do and for everyone to hear for everyone to hear. Um, well, yeah, I'll, and you get in your mind, you can get this, um, when you were controlling me, I could see everything. Everyone else seems not to have remembered, but I do. And I appreciate where you're coming from. Let me know if there's anything I can do for you while you are here. Kind of gives you a, tries to give you a pat on the shoulder, um, but the, the hand passes right through you. And uh, they look at their, their hand and kind of shake it a little bit, rub their fingers together. And just walk off. I guess they assume you're powerful enough or, or know enough about them to, to know where to find them. But that's when you shoot off into the sky and kind of go and, and take in this landscape that you only had a, a cursory look at previously. And it's, you know, like I said, it's, it's worn out, it's, it's old and everything, but it's larger, completed swaths of land, of valleys and mountains and rivers and gorges and roads and, um, you know, even though it is hodgepodge together to a certain extent, it, I don't know has just more of a cohesive feel to it, has more of a um, general wholeness, like you're looking at a uh, large collage, mosaic. Well, no, because present was more of a mosaic, but you get what I'm saying. And, I mean, you see cars and trees and... Um, you actually see people kind of outside of the city that are traveling. And after a few hours flight, you actually come upon a um, small city, large town kind of deal. Uh, again, the, the architecture is, is somewhat familiar more of a, a futuristic slant to it, more interesting architecture all the way around than, you know, standard four walls and a, a roof kind of deal. Uh, you know, interesting angles and uh, materials that these are made out of. And the the population that you see or can sense is, is not enough to uh, fill this place but there are a couple hundred maybe 
maybe a couple thousand people in this place, in this other city. And, uh, you see some large cables, uh, leading out of, out of the city and, You see one large uh, bundle runs to a river and it looks like there's some type of uh, odd-looking dam, maybe. And the other one runs to like this wind farm is the best way to describe it. Uh, not a not a ton of, of standing structures, maybe half a dozen. And let me know if you want to stop at any of the places that I describe or anything that um, piques your interest. And you, you know, say you fly past this and are kind of circling around and you see a absurdly large mountain. You know, it... It takes you a while and 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 um, you already know that this place is larger than than presence. But it also feels like sometimes there's just space to have space. Everywhere at presence felt like it had a purpose. Um... There was always a felt like it had a reason for it, like the, even the landscape. And this is just kind of like, well, I have space to fill, so I'm just going to fill it with something. And you get to this giant mountain, and there's a carved door that's open, carved stone door that's open, banded in metal that's half the size of the mountain. And you can see even from the, the outside that there's structures and carvings and all kinds, all manner of different things uh, inside of this mountain. And when you get kind of close, you can see that there's lights on inside. But you feel this... And you can actually see the, the ground shaking. And out of this door filling 60-70% of it, it's just this massive gray and blue-skinned giant. What you imagine from all the fantasy novels that Fergus probably read as a kid. Great shock of of white hair. She stares at you with piercing green eyes, tracks you as you fly through the sky, and gives you a wave. <laughs> <laughs> 